This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Only one hello. <laughs> Uh, it's not. It's not an auspicious beginning. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the, where this goes. Um, I have come with no ideas, nothing to contribute whatsoever. Unlike last week when there was a what sort of a Haley's comet. It was all you. I mean, it's, uh, just topics. I, I have none now. No. Nope. So I may think of some along the way. Yeah, it's been almost five years, and he's come with. Actually, I just thought <laughs> of one. Maybe we can. Maybe I'll do a movie review. Oh, what movie? Ford v Ferrari. Oh, it had to be a car movie. That's fair. Well, before we do that, I want to talk about coming attractions. On this program? On this program. Oh, boy. I'm but, not aware of it. But coming attractions that aren't movies or, or could be really bad movies. I'll say that. So I don't know. There's still a thousand Democrats running for president, something like that. Some guy resigned, got pulled out of the race yesterday. I didn't even know he was running. But then Never other people jump in. Right, because nurse, yeah. nurse Bloomberg is now, yeah. now in the race. So I'm not even sure exactly who's running. It, what you see on the stage isn't necessarily all the candidates. It's just is Tom certain... is Tom Steyer still allowed on the stage? I don't know because he's polling at less than <laughs> like he's at negative polling. I just don't know. But there, some guy who was a Pennsylvania congressman I had literally never heard of, and he pulled out of the race Sestak. yesterday. Yeah, yes, huge news. Sleestack. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't know that reference, there's there's an earth shattering kaboom that he has <laughs> like, now pulled out I'm of like, the race. Really? I, I didn't really know you were in the race, but okay. I guess you weren't pulling high enough to even right. know we, you existed. So, I want to talk about somebody else who thinks they're polling, and she had a comment. I know it doesn't narrow it down. I want to play two quick clips from her, and I I want to get your reaction once we play the clips. Okay, so they're very quick here. Hold on. One last question, Madam Peachman, then I want to move on. From what you've seen, is there any chance that you would vote to acquit the president? Uh, at this point, I don't see that, uh, but I'm someone that wants to look at every single count. I've made very clear I think this is impeachable conduct. Okay. Um, and her second comment. Uh, Dana is to go forward with this. It's James Madison. I always like to cite him because he was five foot four. That's my height for a president. <laughs> Um, and he said at the Constitutional Convention that the reason he wanted impeachment provisions in there is because uh, the president could betray the trust of the American people to a foreign power. That's what happened here. That's why we're going forward. That's why you saw those incredible diplomats and military personnel and people like Lieutenant Colonel Vindman who said to his dad, you know, it's okay. I can tell the truth in America. There's Wait, is it Vindman? Is that how you say his name? I it was Vin- it's spelled V-I-N-D-M-A-N. I thought it was Vindman, but I don't Vindman, know. Vindman, like cinnamon. Who cares? He's a, he's a colonel. Nobody cares. Uh, so that was Amy Klobuchar. I know. Okay. For those of you who didn't recognize her short stature, 5'4", somehow comparing herself to James Madison. I thought it was Napoleon. I think Napoleon's even taller than 5'4", but okay. I don't think he was, actually. It was 5'6", or something. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I want to talk about the second clip first, because I saw your eyes go up when she said... Madison put in one in the Constitution about betraying the country to a foreign power. Right. What is she talking about? I have no idea because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, <laughs> what? Uh, he, he did what? Oh, are we still talking about Russia? Is this right. Ukraine? Well, again, it's, what is it? It doesn't matter. It, 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 they just spout these things, and you would have thought 
again, if we had a media that was not a disgrace, perhaps the next question would be, what specifically <laughs> uh, by the way, it would go like this. I'm very sympathetic to your position and I agree wholeheartedly, but could you explain to all the lemmings in our audience exactly what you mean when you say betraying the country to a foreign power? Because I've heard many explanations that keep shifting. I heard quid pro quo. Because mm-hmm. remember, the underlying allegation is that Trump threatened to withhold military aid to the Ukraine unless they would investigate the son of one of his presidential opponents. Possible possible presidential opponents. So let's accept that entire allegation as true, even though I think it's complete baloney. Sure. In what way does that square peg jam into the round hole of betraying the United States to a foreign power? What does that mean? The Russia one made it seem a little more betrayal, but withholding aid to Ukraine is not betraying the trust of the United States or betraying the United States what to a foreign withholding power. The, by the way, the same aid that the Obama administration never provided. Yeah. Never, ever did we – were we during the entire Obama administration betraying the national interest in refusing to provide them with military mm-hmm. aid sufficient to thwart the imperialist aims of Vladimir Putin? You mean, got, you mean where we caved and let right. Vladimir take over Crimea? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, I, I remember and, that. And refusing to provide Javelin missile systems, yeah. right, which the Trump administration has provided. Yeah, yeah. So, I yeah. again, how do we – what does that mean? Well, is that the quid pro quo? Is that the bribery? Is that the extortion? It's obviously treason. Is that the emoluments? It's, it's obviously treason. I mean, which it, is it? Is it the 25th Amendment? Well, I, I, I want – so – I agree with everything you're saying on that because I think it's it's bogus and it her equating herself to Madison is to make herself seem presidential. He happened to be five four, our shortest president ever. And guess what? You're not gonna be president. Doesn't matter what height you are, it, you're not gonna be president. It just demonstrates that they can say anything. Sure. Well that's it the second part. Even matter. Yep. They could have said and of course, I've said all along that this equates to giving millions of children cancer. It's the same like, thing. Oh, Biden's okay. going to cure that, so we're good if that happens. Right. So that was the – I wanted to go with the second quote because I thought it was on its face on stupid as, as it sounds. But the first part I played was Amy Klobuchar saying, yeah, I think I'm going to basically vote guilty before we've even had the trial. Now, again, for the cheap seats back there, impeachment just means that the House recommends that the ter- president go on trial. The Senate is the jury – for that trial, and wait a minute, there's three people running in for in the Senate who are running for president. I wonder which way they're going to vote. I, I mean, always know how Amy Klobuchar is going to do. Right. She's obviously going to vote yes, even though we haven't had a trial. Well, that verdict first, trial well, later. Well, and that's what I was. We've we've said this over and over and over again. Verdict day one. Yes. Day one two years ago. Three, three years, years ago. ago. When he was elected, they were going <laughs> to impeach him. They were going to impeach him as soon as they got the chance to impeach him, and they were going to vote to impeach him in the Senate or to remove him from office in the Senate. This is this well, is how political this is. If people didn't think it was political, which you who should do, have. Who doesn't think that? There's probably somebody in this country who thinks someone, it wasn't political. Someone in a coma. But the reality is if you can decide the outcome of your vote before even hearing the trial, was it really 
well, bipartisan. Uh, the other part that, again, if I can play um, a moderately functioning member of a neutral media, when she started ticking off, you know, Vinneman and all of these witnesses. Like, oh, excellent. I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> those witnesses, ma'am. Can you just summarize for our audience the key <clears throat> Uh, devastating testimony that they provided, which supports your pretrial conclusion. Um, well, he's a colonel. Yep. And and what was his testimony? Well, he's a colonel. I see. Did yep. he actually have any information that has any bearing whatsoever on that phone call? Well, no, but he doesn't like Donald Trump, right? And what was the <laughs> – remember the other lady, whatever her name is, y- Yukonovich or whatever? Yeah. The one that was very upset – because, as I understand it, Ms. Klobuchar, um, she was at the State Department and then Donald Trump fired her. <gasps> Is that the crux of her testimony, her devastating, damning bombshell testimony? Yes, essentially Donald Trump is very mean, and she's a very good diplomat, and she had very wise things to say about geopolitics, and Donald Trump, that cruel tyrant, eliminated her. <laughs> Which is far outside his powers in Article Seven of the Constitution, or whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever she thinks these emanate from. Right? Mm-hmm. Again, what is the devastating testimony that we've heard that establishes anything? The second and third hand I heard from my uncle, who knows a man in the State Department, who knows the other guy who was in on the call. What? Seems convincing to me. If you do remember you think Vitamin- any one of them, do you think any one of the Democratic presidential candidates, if asked, please list in bullet point fashion the three key elements of testimony <laughs> that were elicited from these witnesses that establish high crimes? Mm-mm. What, what do you think they would say? They couldn't list anything, but they wouldn't care. Right, because we just go back to it obviously shows that Donald Trump plotted uh, to use the Illudium Pew 34 <laughs> space modulator to blow up the Earth but, in, in cahoots with Marvin the Martian. But Vitamin. Under testimony, he said, I've never met President Trump. I've never been in the same room. I've never been on a phone call. I don't know anything about the phone call. Why are you here? He's here because he thinks, because he's very upset and disturbed, that Donald Trump's policy choices do not uh, coincide with his own. And as we all know, because he's an impressive colonel, he gets to set foreign policy for the country. As do all of these bureaucrats who know better than the president. Oh. And the president has no right to dictate foreign policy as, as Madison, as our expert on <laughs> Madison would understand. Correct? Correct. Well, the, here's the thing I'll, I'll stipulate. Many of these people may know more about foreign policy than the president, but it's not their purview to say that's, it. You know what? That's a very good point, even though I'm skeptical that they know oh. anything. But that's Let's a very, assume they, they might. could be the greatest foreign policy mind in the history of foreign policy analysis. And that entitles them to exactly nothing by way of getting the policy that they want if it is different from what the president decides. Kind of goes along with that White House that you sit in. Yes. So even Inspector Clouseau, our finest diplomat of all time, still doesn't get to set policy because it's not his job. Now, he's tried to do it. Other former secretaries of state have tried to set foreign policy even when they weren't in power, but it's not their job. The president sets foreign policy. The president sets domestic policy. That's how the presidency works. If you don't understand that, maybe you shouldn't be sitting in judgment 
of anyone. No, but that's the point is it's not that they don't understand that they don't care. And this goes back to remember the New York Times published the anonymous piece that was much hailed by the, the, the person that was supposedly on the inside of the Trump administration who said we are actively resisting. Yes. And this was cheerleaded. Right there. This is what they should be doing. So the mindset among these people is that we don't really care about the constitutional system and what the president is empowered to do because we're smarter and we go to better dinner parties and we went to better schools and he's a bad orange man Mm -hmm. and we get to decide because the American people elected – well, they didn't really elect us, but who cares? Who cares? We're really smart and we know what should be done and so it's our right and privilege and – Duty, oh, duty to yes. override the wishes of the president. You mean do you? By the way, right? do you think this would have flown during the Obama years no. when we would have had an internal resistance to no. the light worker no. and all of his misguided no. Iran policies? Yeah, where were these people when that was going? Well, they because they agreed. Well, there's the problem. The hive mind. You obviously aren't that smart if you agreed with that. No, so no. obviously there's a problem with you. Of course. No, no, no. The, the hive mind has decreed that oh, all of those were wise and on the right side of history. Swarm. Now it's obvious we're on the wrong side of history. Mm. And it's up to these people, these bureaucrats for life, to dictate to the voters what they really should have preferred. I, I wish – these amazing people, whoever you are, and you know who you are, would come forward and tell me which side I'm supposed to be on on every issue because you flip-flopped a few times. So I'm not really sure, do I believe you when you said it 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 5 years ago, or do I believe you when you're going to say it 5 years from now? I'm not really sure what to think. And remember, the honorable thing to do if you are convinced that you are one of the uh, the Solomonic individuals who knows best for the country and really should get to rule sure again for the for the good of the lemmings of course you, you only want the best and we're all lemmings the mouth course. breathers that voted for trump even though they're deplorable yes. and hateful bigots who don't know what they're doing you still like a good parent you want them to do well you want sure. to set them on the right path sure but um the question is uh, where where did this idea come from that you have the authority to do any of this. Like, I, I'm sure there's some rule somewhere that says they can do whatever they want. It's not the Constitution, obviously. We, don't, we, we pull that out when we want to and slap you around with it. But we really don't believe in it. We just pick and choose when we want to use it. So it's gotta, there's got to be a rule. I'm sure Congress has passed some law that says appointees. Some, re- some regulation. Some, well, they passed, they passed an open-ended law where the regulations have to be set. Because the law didn't actually have them in there, so you guys are the ones who said it. We're not – we don't get bogged down with the details. Nancy Pelosi is not getting detail-oriented on anything. It's always the uh, appointees who get to do the details, right? Is yes. that basically how it oh, works? Absolutely. Yeah, so t- touching on that a little bit, um, apparently people don't realize there's multiple committees investigating the president for impeachment. Uh, so Schiff so, had his opportunity, and now Jerry Nadler, Nadler, Nadler is Nadler, now the Judiciary Committee, and and the actual one who should have been doing it, right? But he's he's not he doesn't play well on television. No, he well, sweats he's, too much. Yeah, and, he's uh, anyway. And he's, they didn't like. Well, here's the thing: he had his um, his interview, his job interview, when they trotted Mueller back out. Yeah, and that crashed and burned as it became obvious yeah. that good old. Dudley Do-Right didn't even know what was going on in his own (laughs) 
carefully crafted report. So they were like, yeah, we're not going to let Jerry run things anymore. But now, yes, he is uh, now conducting. So what do you think about the fact that he sent a letter to the White House and said, I expect all this cooperation. He said, you gave us three days notice. Yeah. Well, uh, because you can pull together a complete defense in three days, I'm sure. Well, again, I think the uh, see, this is this is what this is what (laughs) the Democrats are not used to, because this administration basically says, yeah, tempting. But no, we're, we're just not we're coming. Pass. We're not coming to your farce. Uh, we're going to call your bluff. Everyone knows what's going on. That probably wouldn't have happened in in the traditional Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio administration because they would have felt that it makes them look bad. And so they would have, again, they would have been willing to be Charlie Brown as this football got snatched away multiple times. And t- honestly, in this case, to Trump and his lawyers' credit, you just say, we're not, we're not playing along. No. We're no. just not going to do it for you. Well, Amy Klobuchar, in an extended part of that interview, said, well, you know, these people have been – this whole thing has been – had precedent with the previous impeachment proceedings. I'm like, Andrew Johnson in 1864. Oh, I'm he, sorry, 68. Was he short as well? Maybe maybe he's another He wasn't hero. that short. He wasn't real bright. Uh, and then Bill Clinton. So right. we've had two. They were over a century apart. I'm sure precedent's pretty limited on that. But she acted like, well, we've, we've already established this. Everybody should come out and everybody should testify because the president says he wants everybody to testify, so everybody should testify. Well, I don't think giving somebody two or three days' notice is enough to say, yeah, that's going to work for me. Well, how come everyone didn't get to testify uh, during the shift oh, service? Oh, because they didn't want actual comments. Oh, I see. They wanted to parade a bunch of people, as you said earlier, who didn't really have any contact with anything but just <laughs> didn't like the Trump administration right. or Trump. That was it. I don't think Nadler's going to – Nadler. By the way, isn't – it's Nadler. By the way – um. I read now that, that Nancy has jetted off to the latest um, yeah. uh, eco-doom. Yeah, co- which, the U.N. Which tells, you, which tells you how plugged in she is to yeah. the high ratings. That the, I mean, does any <laughs> is anyone even following this anymore? I just happened – I was getting my hair cut and it was on TV. That's the only reason I've seen well, any of, of it. of course, it's on, on CNN. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't watched it on my own. But, I mean, this thing has now fizzled to the point of – I don't even think the New York Times is excited anymore. Well, here's the thing. It just ended last week for Chef. I didn't know it was still going on. <laughs> I mean, I follow this stuff. I didn't know it was still going on. I thought it was over two weeks ago because I, there was nothing there. This is your nothing burger, as as usual. See, now this raises an interesting tactical question. Okay. When it, when it inevitably makes its way to the Senate. As it will. As it will. Um I've read some commentators who are, let's say, supportive of Trump. Uh, and actually more just about what a disgrace and a, and a travesty this whole thing has been, this partisan you know, show trial, wasn't even a trial, <laughs> who have said, well, you know, this is now when Trump gets to punch back and they can, they can call anybody they want. And so they can call Hunter Biden and they can call Joe Biden. That all sounds very emotionally satisfying. But what I really think should happen, and we'll see what McConnell wants to do, is because remember they're going to scream and squeal no matter what. I think McConnell should dispense with any trial whatsoever and should say, "Listen, we all know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. This has been a joke mm-hmm. from the beginning. We all heard the transcript. There's nothing there. We had Adam Schiff come out and give his uh, fictional account of the telephone conversation, which we have the transcript to. Yes, we know. <laughs> we know that the alleged whistleblower." Everyone apparently in Washington knows this guy's name. I forget what it is. It starts with a C. I don't know. Uh, w- then was in contact. The whole thing 
is illegitimate and farcical mm-hmm. and it's a cartoon, we're not even going to dignify this with a trial. We're going to vote right now. We have all the information. You know what? And actually, that's that's of benefit to the Democrats. Because if you think of this as a contest, what, what McConnell should say is we're going to allow everything that you've presented to be the only evidence that anyone considers. Colonel Vinneman and Miss Aggrieved Bureaucrat <laughs> and whoever else it was. Sure. So it's almost like a grand jury proceeding, which Adam Schiff continually wanted to compare it to, even though he's very selective in how that works. You actually have the – we're giving you no no witnesses to push back. It's your best case. You've put it forward. We're voting in two hours. The end. <laughs> He's not removed. Party line vote. Let's move on. What do you think is the better approach? Well, I was reading something today, and, and they basically said this isn't about removing him from office because that's not going to happen. Short of him shooting somebody in the street and standing over there maniacally laughing – He's not getting removed from office on anything you've shown me so far. Amy Klobuchar, notwithstanding. It's about weakening him politically, period. End of story. And, and we talked about this before. If you're only trying to weaken him politically, then the only thing I'm thinking is you think your candidates are worse than Donald Trump. You, you do not think you can win right. on an even playing field. So you are doing everything – you. You're doing the Lucy pulling the football out. You're doing every underhanded dirty trick because you know you've got crap to show against him. You've got nothing. Biden being your best option and Biden is a joke. So that tells me if I'm if I'm an intelligent human being sitting here going, um, you know, this isn't going to happen. You keep trotting it out and sp- taking weeks and weeks and weeks. Why exactly should I believe, believe that you really legitimately trying to help the American people by overturning an election that if you had a better candidate, you would overturn in less than a year anyway? I don't yeah. understand. Well, the, but the question is, and it's a complicated, again, tactical decision, because if you've looked at, I think there's now at least three different polls that are polling on this, and it keeps getting worse for the Democrats yeah. in the states that they care about, meaning the the, the swing purples. voters, yeah. the you know the, the blue wall that crumbled, these these mid you know Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, and all these independents that as of two months ago were it was trending badly for Trump, mm-hmm. they're now they flipped by like fifteen or twenty points. But where, do you think that's emboldening those people who say, "Wait a minute, you got nothing"? You no, that's keep, my point. Yeah, that's my question. So. One side of this would be, hey, let's keep let's keep giving this oxygen because now we have a chance, right, for have to have our people. I, I still my instinct is it is so pathetic right now in terms of the lack of any meaningful public interest in this. Mm-hmm. That and plus, I think it would also be just classic cocaine, Mitch. If sure. he would say, it's a complete joke. We're gonna do. We're not having a trial. Well, that, but see, I think that. I don't think you want to drag it out too long because if you drag I don't think it you out, should do it at all. Well, if you drag it out, then there's a chance that somebody gets to somebody and makes some deal to do something. So you don't want to do that. But if you dismiss it out of hand so quickly, then the Democrats could be, you never even get a chance. The, the, the Republicans never even gave it a shot. They didn't even listen. They just good. Went. And do you think anyone's going to care? Because I actually, that's the only option, isn't it? That's all they can say at that point. And and that's why I said what you frame it as is to say, you know what? It's not even that we need a trial. You guys put your best case forward. You had your attack dog, right, mm-hmm. Mr. Schiff, 
and he presented all of your bombshell witnesses day after day, and you didn't, he didn't even let the Republicans talk, yeah. and they couldn't call any witnesses. We've heard them all, and so have the American people. Anyone who watches CNN involuntarily at the airport, they have gotten a 24-7 diet of impeachment theater, yeah. and we're going to let that stand. We're not even going to bother challenging it. It's so pathetic. We're just going to have a vote right now. You're at the maximum bet. This is like equivalent to me, okay, in a trial, is if the plaintiff, my own opponent, puts on their entire case, mm-hmm. and I say, you know what, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a whole bunch of witnesses because... We don't agree. I'm not even going to put them on. I'm going to let you go out right now mm-hmm. and deliberate yeah. and determine a verdict based on their case alone. <laughs> I'm not even going to put on my witnesses. Well, is that something you can so... do in a trial? You can say that the prosecution is rested and now well, you, is well, there any reason that you the can make a motion for, an, for a compulsory non-suit? Okay? Yeah. But my point is. They really have nothing to complain about because this trial oh, is going anyway, to be you – know of that. course they are. But my point <laughs> is this trial is going to be about the Republicans fighting back and putting on their own witnesses. I just think they should give this – dignify this not for a millisecond and let them scream all they want about the fix is in. He's in the pocket of Trump. They're going to say that anyway. I think they're going to drag this out until late October next year. You, who's going to drag it out? The Democrats. Oh, they'd be insane to do that. Well, I don't think the reason I don't think they're going to do that is because they're already looking at the polling. They're the people in the you know the smoke filled back room are saying this needs to be over because this is not generating what you wanted. And the okay. longer this goes on, the trend lines are very bad. But in, in another way of looking at it is, if we continue to do this, he looks worse. And worse and worse. Well, but the polls Whether aren't telling them that. The polls aren't telling them that, but I think there's some calculus in their brain saying, if we just drag this out and make him look bad, yeah, continue, but, the news cycle is this, But these, this, these this. people live by their polling. Well, and and so they, they right. couldn't have the orchestrated effort once again between the media and the Democratic Party to spin this in the worst possible way, and it has gotten them nothing. And I would wager that their internal polling is even worse. So why would they do it? They, they had to have known going in. No, this they could be the outcome. No, they didn't know that going in because, really? number one, they're completely deluded and they're obsessed. And I think they believed that if we put on – again, we control the narrative. They must have pulled somebody, though, to say this is a good idea. Well, they idea. were focus grouping it. You know, yes. well, that's right, quid pro quo, too confusing. All right, let's call it – That's um, focus grouping. But they, they had to have polls. They've got, they got enough polling I, arms out because there. Because as usual, as usual, they uh, – these people – and this is true on both sides, but in particular in this era of Trump, they are so deranged in their hatred of this guy. That, and they live in this echo chamber where everyone agrees, mm. this is the best thing ever. He's, this is definitely going to remove him from office. And they don't, they've never talked to a single person who lives in rural Michigan, yeah. Detroit, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. They don't talk to these people, and this is really this is going to be it. This is the death knell. The walls are finally closing in. We know it's and, best for you. And just if they would actually yet. have talked to a hundred of those people, man on the street, they would have found out. Yawn. What? There's a, what? There's an impeachment going on. What's Ukraine. That again? What? What are you talking about? I'm getting angry. Yeah. What? 
<laughs> they don't consider those things. You want to raise taxes? What? The yeah. New York Times editorial board says it's a good idea. Full steam ahead. Yeah, good, good luck with that. Paul Krugman is on board. <laughs> well, then it must be a good idea if Paul Krugman's on board. I, I, again, we'll see what happens, but it just seems like it's short-sighted, not calculated correctly because they didn't talk to anybody. And it also feels as though they're just throwing stuff at the wall. It's been three years of just throwing crap at the wall going, they had to. something has to stick to this guy. They had to. I mean, it's, it's a pathology. They had to find something. They just couldn't. They would, they would have gone. Well, they've already gone insane. But well. the, just physiologically, the, the party cannot exist without them impeaching Trump for something. Well, there you go. So it's That's fast something. food at the White House. It's whatever. <laughs> it's something. It's, it's always something. something. So um, last week was Thanksgiving for you and I and for most of the people listening. Uh, but apparently there's another tradition in certain parts of the country called unThanksgiving. Oh. Are you familiar with this? Um, no. Okay. It's also called the Indigenous People's Sunrise Ceremony. Okay. Held at Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. Oh, well, okay. So well, you, there you we might go. know where this is going. Now that we've geographically located yes. the epicenter. So, so we talked last episode about um, Colin Kaepernick just basically not really seeming like he really wanted to get back in the NFL. Just kind of wants to possibly maybe, but doesn't really want to do that. Yeah. He was at the ceremony. And of, he, was, of course he was. He was bashing the, the United States. I know that's hard to believe for you, but... Um, he did not feel that it was uh, appropriate for everybody. You know, he said the United States – let me pull it up here. Uh, it's been there since 1975. It's been around for a long time, and I never even heard of it until this year. That's because it's uh, celebrated at Alcatraz in San Francisco. <laughs> but basically he came out talking about this country is awful, This this everything we do is awful, and I thought to myself – if he's reaching anybody, I don't know who he's reaching, but if he's reaching somebody, does he really want to play in the NFL? Or does he just want to be an activist who says, you won't let me play these in the are NFL? All, these are all rhetorical questions at this point. More correct? than likely, yes. The rhetorical question being, you don't really want to play. You just want to talk about not being able to play so you can have some axe to grind against somebody. Right. Well, because, again, his new profession is activist. How does that profession become increasingly profitable? Well, he has to have something to rail against. If he's allowed to play in the NFL as a basically non-entity backup quarterback that no one cares about. Nobody's called him from the vanishes. NFL, by the way. Right. But if he can still perpetuate, get more Nike money from his victimization, living in this brutal and oppressive country, which will not allow him to be a starting quarterback anymore, then that helps his brand. So – this is whole this whole thought process came to me on Thanksgiving. So you live in a country where you can be unhappy about it having affluence and having opportunities, and you complain about what happened to your ancestors in some cases centuries ago, and you're upset about that today. Didn't happen to you. Didn't even happen to your parents, or your grandparents. Probably happened great 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 grandparents. You're sitting here complaining about how awful it is. When you have an opportunity to complain about how awful it is. Th think about this. Go to China. Oh, yes. Do you think the indigenous peoples there get to go say, we're going to have an un-Thanksgiving. We hate China. <laughs> no. Yes. I don't think that's, that's right. going to happen. 
And then, Putin's and Russia. Then, I'm and then sure that's you're well gonna received. Have, you're going to have an unexistence because yes. you're not going to be around anymore. Yes, I, I will admit the United States has made mistakes. It will continue to make mistakes. But guess what the alternatives are? Other things like unliving. You know, <laughs> you can be dead. You know, you can give up your life because you didn't get an extra roll at Thanksgiving dinner. I, this, it, this stuff just – we call – some people I talk to, we call it first world problems. You have too much time on your well, hands yeah, and not enough it's, activity it's, it's to keep you busy. It's beyond that, though. It's beyond first world problems. That, that I, I treat that category as just sort of, you know, whinging about, you know, petty, uh, trivial problems in your life. Now, th- this, is, this is much more of – a worldview that is fundamentally alienated from everything in in the Judeo Christian tradition in sure. Western culture. Um, I think it's I do think it's somewhat of a of a sickness in terms of the people that are these. Look again, absolutely fair game to be critical of many things that this country has done. Yep. Okay, starting with slavery, you can name them, right? You, you, there's too many to list because it's a country that was founded by sinful and imperfect people, and there's no country that has ever existed that you couldn't. In fact, we do pretty well on the scales of how have we done? Yeah, you know, in terms of and not to get into whataboutism, but yes, no, no, exactly. So, but the issue is that these people that find everything wrong with america right america can never do anything right Mm -hmm. this isn't even we're attempting to balance this oh well you know what let's acknowledge certain good things like for instance i don't know fighting several world wars right to to defeat communism to defeat the nazis Mm -hmm. again that was still all bad We, we, we were terrorists whatever there's nothing you ask these people they're living in a hellhole Mm-hmm. They're living in which, which you've mentioned before, and I've mentioned before, which makes it ironic that their deepest dream is to force a, a, all of the people that want to come. Why would you want to come here? Why are you so Why are you demanding that these caravans of people be allowed into the country? Shouldn't you be telling them to flee as fast as they can and go to Denmark Seems or whatever? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's a very very uh, perverse. Worldview. It's very similar to the attitude that pervades the UN when you see every year they pass whatever seventy four resolutions and seventy three of them are denouncing Israel. Yes. Okay. Because that's yes. the biggest problem in the world, the lone democracy in the Middle East. They are the war criminals to be denounced. That makes sense to me. Uh, it makes me think of the um, most recent Pilgrim's Progress uh, movie. I don't know if you saw that in the beginning of the movie. It's it's basically. Everything is awful. It's just degrees of awful, and you're trying to – you want better, but you realize you, you're never going to get better, so you just deal with awful. And I think of these people and say, if it's so awful, you've what you basically want is everybody else to feel it's awful. You don't want anybody to be happy with anything in their lives because it has to be awful, and you're working from within. Or you could just go to the other places you think are so much better, but you never do. Every time there's a Republican elected to presidency, all these liberal – talking heads or celebrities all say, I'll move into Canada if this person right. wins. They never move. They never move. Why? Well, because it's not because, as awful as they say. Particularly because they have the resources to do so. Sure. Well, we mentioned this before, I think, in one of the shows, that I really liked this idea, this essay that I read about luxury beliefs. Okay. And it was, I forget where it appeared, and that term was coined by somebody who I'm forgetting. But the, the essayist made the point, and I think this is a very insightful observation, is that it used to be when you were declaring your status in America to separate yourself from the hoi polloi, as it were, 
Um, it was about what you possessed, tangible things. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my office on the 37th floor, right? right. These visible indications that you were among the elite. And the point of this essay was, well, you know what? Because America has been so wildly successful, this wicked capitalist country, that now there's a lot of people who are not in the 1% who can have nice cars and a pretty darn nice house. And so, in other words, those status symbols do not now identify the elite in the same way that they used to. So what's the new way to do that? The new way to tell everyone that you're actually elite is by proclaiming your luxury beliefs, right? I'm part of the resistance, Hashtag right side of history. And so this is all an exercise, this virtue signaling that they do. It's simply a new way of signifying I am in the group of thought leaders, the enlightened people, and you are among the great unwashed wicked people. And I actually think there's a lot of that's a pretty it's a pretty interesting and I think mm, I would think a pretty fair critique of what's going on is that how do people now identify themselves in terms of what group they belong to? Yeah. It's by broadcasting these ideas. And what are those ideas? America is terrible. America is a bigoted, imperialist, jingoistic, white nationalist evil. Yeah. And all the smart people think this, and I am among them. <laughs> so and if you don't agree with me, you are among the people, the benighted, right, <laughs> the retrograde, who deserve to be squelched, who are the wicked ones that we need to, to fight against. So, And it also fulfills this desire that since there really is no legitimate first world problem that they have, in other words, they're not, they're not fighting a civil rights they're not a part of a civil rights movement. Right? They have to find something, some something evil. And by the way, it can never be actual evil. Right. We don't care about the a million Muslims that are in the, the actual concentration camps in China. We don't care about the homosexuals in the Mideast that are still stoned and hung from cranes and the Christians that are being butchered every day. Right. Well, no, no, that's we can't look upon that. That's no. far too upsetting. <laughs> what really makes us angry is Chick-fil-A expanding into airports. Yeah, heaven forbid that happens. So let's let's move on. I, I have a bumper here. So what am I talking about? Well, I don't know. We use that before. Well, I've used it for other things, but let me put it in his own words. The new Star Wars movie? No. I, I, we'll see about that. Let me put it in his own words. Is this a talent gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between you and Ohio State at this point? I mean, I'll answer your questions, not your insults. So That, wasn't an that was Jim Harbaugh. A little testy. Yeah, a little testy. Um I'll answer your questions, not your insults. I'm not sure what the insult was. You got beaten by 29 points by your biggest rival. I think there must be a talent well, gap or a coaching well, gap better or than, a better than preparation last year, gap. Right? Did they get 62 last year? They did, but they scored 59 more. this year. <laughs> they they kept them to less points, but they scored less points as well. <laughs> so the question becomes: Let me read what ESPN put in here. Let me. I think this will help. It says. This is from uh, Bill Connolly, ESPN staff writer. 
when you're better than just about everyone, but not your rival, your rival defines your perspective. Well, so, it's but it's interesting that you're citing to that article because well, I read that article. Yeah. So I want to ask you about that article because ultimately the point that that article is making is, and I suspect is he Tom Osborne or is he John Cooper? Right. No. The <laughs> what the point it's making is is that. It's not really legitimate to be upset with Jim Harbaugh because he's actually been very successful. He's only been unsuccessful as measured against Ohio State. So my question to you is, Mm -hmm. do you agree with that or do you believe that he has been unsuccessful full stop? He has not done a good job. Okay, so for those who don't know, I'm a Michigan fan. Okay, Michigan has lost 15 in the last 16 times against Ohio State. That's not a good record. It's, it's, it's not even in the same universe as saying it's okay. Right. So they're not they're not clearly they're not, not as good as Ohio State. At least not for the last 16 years or so. I was sad when John Cooper was fired because I think John Cooper was great for Michigan football. Yes, because Michigan beat him five times in a row. Because he couldn't beat Michigan. He would have great teams that could beat Michigan. So I was really upset when he left. And I think that's when you saw Lloyd Carr start to falter when he actually had to play against somebody good. I don't disagree with most of the article because I think the article goes on to say that Tom Osborne couldn't beat Oklahoma for most of his career until later and after Basically Barry Switzer Basically until the left. 80s and then they – Until Barry you know, Switzer left yes. and, and his fell down. I, I, and I don't disagree with that. I think the connection this writer is trying to get was that maybe he's t- – maybe Bill, Jim Harbaugh is Tom Osborne. I haven't seen that, but maybe he is or is he John Cooper – who also couldn't beat his biggest rival. And I would say, somebody told me, I think maybe it was you, said they need to recruit speed. Michigan needs to recruit speed. Somebody else said that to me. And I'm like, they have plenty of speed. If they, even if they had speed, they don't know what to do with it. My contention has been, and, and this article doesn't reference this, Jim Harbaugh is horrible against really good teams. He's, he, he said that Cooper was elite and Osborne was elite, and then Oklahoma was phenomenally better. I don't know what the term he used. Jim Harbaugh is 1-11 against top 10 rated teams at Michigan. Don't forget that he's lost to Ohio State five years in a row. He hasn't beaten anybody. He's right. beaten one team in the top 10. That, to me, is a problem. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's the flaw. The one flaw in that argument is it's not just Ohio State. No. If it was, Penn, you could say, eh. In the last five years, Penn State has been they remarkably. They well, I think Penn State, you can make the argument it has been a better program. So yeah. in other words, you, for instance, the last five years, if you're ranking Big Ten programs, Michigan is not number two. No. They're no. not. It's Ohio State, At probably, best third. probably Penn State, and then Michigan's fighting with Wisconsin or maybe vice versa. Yeah. Wisconsin's somewhere in there. You may, If you want to put Wisconsin Three, over Penn State, I don't think so. I don't think so, Recently no. under the Franklin era. So the point is it's not just, well, we're really good and this is our nemesis. It's like, no – you're real. You're good, but there's a whole bunch of teams that you're not beating. Right. It, you, and I, I would say he said he could go zero and twelve and still have a better record than the previous Brady. Right. Because I think he's forty seven and seventeen or something like that, which is great. But if you can beat up on cupcakes, and this is where I differ with NFL. Versus, they're also not paying for forty seven and seventeen. Right. They're not, that's they're paying for they're, top two. They're paying for Nick Saban, yeah. Dabo Sweeney. Um, but let's take his money out of it for a second. I'll come back to that. I do believe he has stabilized the program. It was in free fall under Brady Hope. Yeah. But I still am questioning. He has not gotten 
quarterback play. Shea Patterson was probably the best quarterback. Wilson Spate was more successful, but Shea Patterson is probably the most talented quarterback he's had in the five years he's been there. And I don't think Shea Patterson's all that good. He's average at best. And, and I'm thinking this is a guy who's a claims to be a phenomenal recruiter, except to only of kickers apparently. He's he a quarterback whisperer, and he can't get a quarterback. His defense, which was giving up 16 points a game, except on Saturday when they gave up 59. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So part, part here's my offense. question. Here's my question. Yeah. If I told you in the next four years that Michigan would not once make the the college football playoff and would not win more than nine games in any season, but they would beat Ohio State three out of four times. Would you take that, or would you take they lose every season to Ohio State, but in two of those seasons they make the college football playoff as the second Big Ten team because they go 11-1 and one or whatever. In other words, Ohio State's the only team they lose to. What scenario do you prefer? Second one. So you 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 value making ultimately the playoff more because I think there's a lot of Michigan fans that really care more about whether you beat Ohio State. I think you're correct to a point. I think there's a lot of Michigan fans who want to beat Ohio State, but if you said I could lose to Ohio State and still make the college football playoff, but or not I win, could, not necessarily win, but you're in the top. Four. You're in the discussion. Okay, so that winning. would make you happy, even if they continued. So they would then be 0-9 against Ohio State. But two of the years, they'll make the playoffs. They're 1-15 in 15 now. What's the difference? If you could say, I would I would make the college football playoffs but lose to Ohio State, which they're doing anyway, what's the difference? I'm at least advancing the program. I'm getting better recruits. Because I think well, the I problem think, is you don't get better recruits until I think you win. I think that's a sensible <laughs> answer. I My sense of it is there's probably – I would say the split among Michigan Nation would be about 40-60 on that, where 40% would say, no, we need to beat Ohio State. We don't care. Now, I, obviously, they don't, they're not going to accept going 3-7. and seven, No. But if you're still having what most programs would consider to be a successful season, right, nine wins, nine and three, and you're beating Ohio State, I think there's a a substantial minority that would say that's what we prefer. I think you're right. And, and here's how I look at it. Once Michigan loses their first game of the season, it's pretty much over in, in the in the Big Ten Eastern Division. Because you can't you can't lose one unless you're Ohio State or Penn State for some reason. If you lose one and you're Michigan, you're not making the Big Ten championship and you're not making the CFP. So at that point you go, okay, well, I just want to beat Ohio State this year. Now, if you say I'm eleven and zero. And I lose to Ohio State. Yeah, that's devastating. I don't disagree with that. But you're still making the Big Ten championship and you're still making the CFP. I think most reasonable people said, but once they lose that game, there's no coming back. The East, the Big Ten East has more of the power teams, the better teams. Now, excluding Rutgers and Maryland and Do you do you think that Ohio State is going to win the national championship? No. Neither I do, think I think they do could, I. but I don't think they will. Even though right now, looking at how – so it looks like – well, first of all, I think the top three uh, in the college football playoff are, are basically locked in unless some, some seismic event. So you're going to have in some order uh, Ohio State, LSU, and, um, and Clemson. 
Those are going to be the top three teams guaranteed. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's left to decide, Alabama's now out after losing to Auburn, is whether that fourth slot is going to be Utah, Baylor, Oklahoma. Those are probably the only three teams that have a legitimate shot. Utah and Baylor have no shot. Uh, I mean, they could make it, but they have no shot of winning. No, no, it. no. I'm saying making making oh. the playoff. Yeah, great. So the question is, here's your consolation. Who do you, who do you think is going to win? I think it's LSU. I, they feel I like have, the best team. I've I have seen. a funny feeling that Clemson is going to win a game. Wouldn't shock me. I mean, they they've had a everyone has sort of disregarded right them because the ACC is kind of woeful, yeah. but. I was looking at the stat the other day. First of all, they've now won something like, what, 26 games in a row? Yeah. They've had some and tight ones, but they have won. Not this year. I thought they had one or they two They had one ones. game against – and you, they, that's what I was just going to say. The stat I saw, they have won seven consecutive games by 35 points or more. Sure. Now, listen, I don't care how supposedly mediocre your conference is. They're still Division One teams sure. playing sure. in a major conference. Yeah, playing Wake Forest, yeah. And uh-huh. it seems like Dabo has figured out – Every year, how to get his team recently playing their best football at the end of the season. I'll tell you this, because it looks like Ohio State, if they win the Big Ten Championship, and I think they will, they're going to be the number one seed. You don't want to play Clemson. In other words, you want to be the number one seed because you do not want to be playing Clemson in the semifinal. Right, which makes sense. I get that. I, I will say this. When Florida State started to drop off, that's when Clemson took their took their shot. Because that was the only other team in the ACC for football that anybody cared about. Well, I guess Miami's right. in there now. But well, but the point is, though, either. is that they've also beaten the Titans of college football yeah. two times in the last they've four got, seasons. They've got some they've coaching beaten, experience and some player experience well, in that Saban. realm. Yeah. Nobody else has, has been that. able to do that. No. And I, I feel like the Big Ten, for, for all they do, they're still slower off the ball. They're still slower in how they react. They're not as inventive. They're much more. Pl- they're still that plotting conference. Not uh, like it was. I don't know about that. Uh, I, I would say that. Did Ch- Did Chase Young scare you on Saturday? Did you watch the game? Did he scare me? He didn't scare me. He didn't do much. Oh well, come on. Are you literally saying that Chase Young is in your description of the plotters? No, 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 no. I'm saying Chase Young, lauded by everybody who talks about him as the greatest player who's ever lived and ever will live and ever has ever thought about living. He was okay. Okay, in that game. But I can tell you right now that any NFL scout is going to be saying sure. the guy's going to be either the number one or the number two player selected in don't the draft. Don't disagree. I don't think he's a good example for no, Big not applauding. Ten. Not talking about plotting. Just saying he's an athlete that everybody's lauding as the right. greatest you've ever seen. And he didn't have a great game. He didn't have a good game for him. He didn't have a, Are you making the argument that he would not be the dominant player on any SEC team right now on their defensive line? Because who would, would you say is better? Oh, I'm not saying there's an individual player. I'm saying as a team, he's what they reach for for Ohio State. They're, they don't talk about some of these other guys because he's the, the face of the defense. No, but see, I think – I don't know what argument you're making because – My thing argument I would is say he's is, not as great as he's presented. I, I disagree. He's not Lawrence Taylor. Well, Nobody's Lawrence Taylor. Agreed. But that's what every announcer talks now, about. Well, him. Like He course. is the most amazing thing you've ever seen but in your life. But here's the thing. Your original point was basically that the Big Ten, I think I largely agree with this, that even though the Big Ten is probably the second best conference in the country, at the very elite team level, okay, the top of the conference, they're not quite as stacked 
mm-hmm. as these SEC teams. And I agree with that. But the one exception is Ohio State. Ohio State is an SEC titan playing in the Big Ten. If you look at the recent NFL drafts for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. Ohio State is the dominant program in terms – in other words, because, listen, Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. okay, Ohio State can recruit like Alabama. They have exactly the same – why is that? I think the reason is because because we were told the weather plays a factor. Yeah, but it's different. And how states get for snow. whatever reason they have a a national recruiting base that even a team like Penn State or, or you know first of all Michigan's a very good recruiting team even now Harbaugh still recruits very well. Yeah. I think his recruiting classes over the last five years have probably averaged top five, probably. which raises some questions of mm, <laughs> what's going on the there talent, at least in yeah. some of those positions. But no, Ohio State. From an athletic freak standpoint, Mm -hmm. you could take them and stick them in SEC and they would be right there with Alabama and LSU and Georgia uh, in terms of talent. The rest of the Big Ten, not quite. Do you believe they would win the SEC year in and year out or would they, they would challenge, but would they win it? I think, well, when you say would they win it, I mean, well, Alabama has. Alabama, LSU, they, they would be Georgia. right there. In other words, they would be a co betting favorite along with LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. There would okay. be no distinction between okay. those programs. I think, I think Ohio State benefits from not playing in the SEC week in and week out. I think playing in the Big Ten, knowing that they own Harbaugh for whatever reason, and for the most part, they own Penn State. And that means they win the East. Recently they have. Although the other interesting discussion between the SEC and the Big Ten is, while the top very elite teams, again, we essentially the four teams, right? Alabama, Georgia, LSU, maybe Auburn, right? Th- those are the, I mean, am I Second missing, tier maybe, am I missing yeah. any of the top SEC teams? Those are the three, no, that's, right? That's it. So those teams, <laughs> those teams have a slight advantage. But that's I will say that in the middle of the conference, the Big Ten is better. Because the dirty secret about the SEC is that the bottom half of the SEC crap. stinks. Yeah. Tennessee. Well, <laughs> the, the Big Ten, you, know, you get to a team like Indiana, okay, Purdue, they don't stink. Iowa, no. right? Top to bottom, I think the Big Ten has more consistency, but at the very top, the SEC is better. I would agree with that, and I think that's the issue. I think you can, you can win, and I hate to say it's a weaker conference, but it, it is slightly weaker at the very top, because like that's Penn, all we care about. If you took Penn State and transplanted into the SEC, they're not vying with LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. I don't they're think so. They're that tier below yeah. that's going to go They're in, with Auburn. They're going to go 8-4 and four yeah. or whatever. Um, Ohio State's the only team in the Big Ten that you send them over there, and they're competing for 11-1 and one and playing for the championship. I would agree with that. I would, And I think you're right on that. Now, that's where I say I feel like the Southern teams, regardless of what Ohio State's been able to recruit, I feel like they get more speed at the positions they need to have speed, top to bottom. The quarterbacks are usually not quite as athletic. Sometimes they are, but not usually. They're more pocket passers. Penn State is a very good example. I think Penn State actually has a bunch of guys. They they have very good team speed, Mm -hmm. but not at every position. Right. So you'll have a guy like Hamler who is – very, yeah, he would, he's as fast, fast as anybody <laughs> yes. on any team that you want to find. Yeah. And they've got guys on their defensive line. They're the same way. But the other, the two differences are not at every position 
and the depth. If they have to go to their number two or number three guy, there's a major drop-off. Alabama goes to their number three guy. He's the same. Exactly. It's like a clone just comes <laughs> on the field. He also runs a 4-3. Yes. It doesn't matter. Well, you saw that with Penn State versus Indiana. They were playing some backups because some, they had some injuries, and it was a struggle. Yeah. Back well, and, and it doesn't mean, again, backups, they're still not experienced. There's more right. than just athletic ability. But Alabama and LSU, they have stockpiled so many five-star guys that the third guy off of their bench is indistinguishable from a physical attribute standpoint most of the time. So let me ask you the all-important question, the Pete Rozelle question. Is parity good for college football, or is it better to have some dominant programs and everybody else well, has are you no making, shot Are whatsoever? you making the argument that there is parity now? No. I don't, I don't think there's parity. I think there was more parity. Well, I think. I'd probably be wrong about this. More parity in the past. I don't like parity at all. I like dominant teams. And I think most people want dominant. Now, you'll hear, it's boring. Well, you know what? When Michael Jordan was destroying all comers, the NBA ratings were through the roof. It was competitive. When when Jordan was playing the Supersonics, you didn't believe that the Supersonics didn't have any chance of winning. Yes, you did. Did you think that anyone had a chance to win the NBA title when Jordan was in his prime? No. I think Barkley and the Suns had a chance, and I think I don't think Utah necessarily. I think they were the weaker, much weaker team. I, I personally, the Blazers maybe. I don't no, know. Nobody had a chance. He was going to win. Um, okay. I I personally like dynasties because I like excellence. So I don't mind. You if, like a dynasty if it's your dynasty, or you no, just like dynasties in no, general. No, I mean even though I don't root for Alabama, I appreciate what Nick Saban has been able to do there. Okay. And the other thing is. I also, I also understand that it's not as if there's not a level playing field. In other words, now, not everybody, okay, not everybody can compete with the resources of Alabama. But there are multiple, let's say, ten other programs in the country that have the same opportunities to 10? recruit. You I think it's think that so. many? Yeah. Like where? Okay, you've got at least four other SEC programs that okay. can do that. The Pac-12 is a joke. No, okay. There's nothing there. You Nobody's have Ohio State, and then, well— it used to be that you would have USC. Now, USC has foundered recently, but they're yeah. also a program when Pete Carroll was there yeah. that, that had a national— He cheated, but yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> they, all, they all cheat. So I think they're—all right. There's seven or eight Florida State. Now, of course, Florida State is— uh, <laughs> This year would not be a good example, Has fallen yes. on hard times. Florida, okay? Yeah. You've got—go through the programs. Florida State, Florida, LSU, Georgia— Auburn, Clemson, USC, Ohio State. That's eight programs. Penn State is like a tier below. But you've got enough programs that they have the same So you're saying Michigan's not in that list, but Mi- Florida no, State is? Michigan hasn't been in that list for a while. Florida State hasn't either. Um, if you want, you can include Michigan. That's fine. Well, I mean, I'm but saying you should or should My only point is, is that I respect the fact that even though I don't like Alabama or Nick Saban, when you are able to dominate that consistently over that many years – it's incredibly impressive. Like that, I like that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people say, as a Michigan, to me as a Michigan fan, well, you can't expect Michigan to be good. You just, it's, it's not your birthright, and I would agree with that. But going back to the salary for Harbaugh, I expect more than what we're getting. I expect the team not to look like they have no idea how to stop anybody. I look, I saw that run pass offense on Sunday or Saturday. I'm like. Mm, do you not recognize plays? Did you guys look at film? It's not like they did anything different. Yeah, they, they're just too good. I mean, they're, Ohio State's just better. Well, and they were. They were the better team. No question. They have been the better team for the last five years. It's not There's, a question of, well, you didn't understand the scheme. It's, we know what they're going to do. And well, we it's not coaching. 
and it's not it's not preparation. a question of that. It's, it no, must it's, be talent. Exactly. I mean, if you if those two teams play ten times, Ohio State wins nine of those games. They're, I think they're they just 10, better. Yeah, they're better. I think they're I think they're a better team. Now here's the question: Ryan Day, is there anything he's done, or is he really basically using Urban Meyer's well, everything? Obviously, he was he hand selected. A, of course, he has a huge advantage. But I will say this. You know, there's other examples of guys walking into programs that it's on a silver platter mm-hmm. and things haven't quite run the same. Agreed. Way. Agreed. So I think he deserves a tremendous amount of credit because arguably this is a better team right now than Urban Meyer ever had, except for, I think, the 2015 team, which basically was by far the most talented team in the country. And they somehow didn't win. <laughs> um, no, I look. Obviously, Urban Meyer handed him the Ferrari and said, don't drive it into the guardrail. Yeah. And to his credit, he hasn't. But yeah, so far, he's in, he's been looked at. The, the announcers on Saturday were saying, oh, I think he's going to go to the NFL. I'm like, one year. Okay, well, let's well, get over who yourselves. Knows? I mean, who knows? I mean, the NFL, I have no idea about that. I don't know why he would. If they win the national championship. Why would you? You're getting paid basically as much as you're going to get paid or will soon be getting paid yes, as much. Um but who knows what he wants to do? I don't know. So I, I, that's fine. You you brought up the Ferrari. You that's right. Ferrari. We have to finish with a very quick Go ahead. movie review. Uh, by the way, you know this movie. Have you uh-huh. seen it? I've not seen the movie, but I know this the story. So I would I would encourage everyone to go see uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which is now I, I will say um, the Charlie's Angels people <laughs> are upset. No, that people that's, went to Ford that's exactly so. That's one of the main reasons is because all of the right people hated this movie because mm-hmm. it was a testosterone filled white male extravaganza. It was sad that Matt Damon was in it because he's on their side usually. Right, it is, and actually, it was kind of shocking. And it's based on a true story. Now, I, I do have a few quibbles, but if you don't know anything about Ford versus Ferrari, back in the '60s, the well, even now, the considered the most prestigious auto race in the world. It's an endurance race. It's 24 hours of Le Mans, and they run it in France every year. And back in the '60s, it was dominated by Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari. They had the best cars. They won every year. I don't know how many years in a row they won. It was like nine or ten. And so Henry Ford II, who was, I think, the grandson of Henry Ford, not his yeah, son. I agree very, yes. And uh, he became obsessed with demonstrating that Ford, because, again, the way the movie portrays it, I'm not sure if this is entirely accurate, but maybe it is, is that Enzo Ferrari sneered at the ugly Ford he... cars and their giant, brutal factories. Yeah. And so... Henry Ford, because he Ferrari handmade every car. Yes, I understand the difference. Right, and and you know Ford made whatever forty million cars, and Ferrari made a thousand. Right, yeah. they're not even in the same stratosphere. But Henry Ford became obsessed with beating Ferrari at Le Mans, and so he put. He was the, a racing fan. Yes. Was he not? Yes. And yeah. he also wanted, it was like a personal vendetta against Enzo Ferrari. Yeah. So he puts together this team. The team is spearheaded by the two main characters in this movie. One of them is, a, the, he's a legend, Carol Shelby. Have you ever heard of a Shelby Cobra? Uh, he was a great racer and then he became a car manufacturer. He made his own cars. And a guy named Ken Miles, who was a Brit, who was this phenomenally gifted driver, but also apparently somewhat ornery and cantankerous, <laughs> difficult to deal with, not exactly a PR uh, dream. And so these two guys get together, and long story short, they put together a program fairly quickly. The first year, they don't win. They have problems. But the second year begins their domination where Ford wins, I think, four consecutive 
Lamar titles from, I don't know, like 66 to 69 or something. And uh, that's what the movie's about. So, and it's really well done. The one thing that's excellent about it is that almost all the racing scenes are not CGI. They actually had these cars. Now, a lot of them are rebuilt replicas. Sure. But they're actually racing on a track <laughs> and cool. filming it. That's Christian cool. Bale is actually driving the car. Some of the stunts, maybe not. Mm. Uh, so it's very visceral, right? It's not, because you can tell CGI. It's just sure. not as good. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very good movie. Now, my only complaint, and I have this complaint about almost every Matt auto Damon, racing Matt movie. Matt Damon film. Well, Matt Damon does a good job, but Carroll Shelby is 6'5", and Matt Damon is what, 5'7"? I don't know. He's, <laughs> He's not, not Carroll Shelby. He's not 6'5". Okay? They should have gotten that. Vince Vaughn, somebody mm. that's at least over six feet tall. That aside, I told my wife, she actually, my wife was very gracious, and she surprised me, and she said we were going to a movie. Oh. And then she you told me. You thought it was me, Mr. Rogers. No, I assumed it was some some horrendous, torture-inducing romantic comedy, sure. which she led me to believe, and I was in like a good for her. sour mood. And then she's like, oh, we're going to, oh, good. Um, in every racing movie, because in Hollywood, they don't understand how cars actually work. And I, it's disappointing, although I understand why they do it for dramatic effect. So Le Mans has a, a straightaway. It's um, the Mulsanne straight. And okay. it's literally, I think it's like two or three miles. And the cars, it's basically a straight. And they hit 200, 210, 220 miles an hour. Okay. Well, of course, in the heightened drama of the movie... They have this pitch battle between Ken Miles in his GT40 and the wicked, evil, uh, you know, mustache-twirling Italian driver, <laughs> Bertinelli or whatever. And so they're racing wheel-to-wheel -wheel down the straightaway, and they always show Ken Miles as they're going 200 miles an hour, shifting That's, into... Yes. 27th gear. It's got to be like, shifting. There's no, extra gear. There's no shifting at 200 miles. There's no shifting at 150 miles an hour. Nothing the left. shifting was it. done yeah. when we were in the first quarter mile of the straightaway, and now we're just hammer down going 200 miles an hour. But they always have to show yeah, them see, shifting. Now, I understand why they did this, because there's only like four people who have stick shifts left, and you're one of them. So you would know that. I would know that because I used to drive stick. Most people don't know that. They don't realize you're getting through those gears pretty quickly, and yeah. then it's just straight so, out power know, or nothing. So they're, they're right there at the end, and it's like, I'm pulling ahead, I'm pulling ahead. And then they actually have the voiceover of Matt Damon, who supposedly, watch, you know, you can watch the race on right. TV, right. And, and Matt Damon's going, not yet. Not yet. Oh, not yet. <laughs> now! And then he shifts into 27th gear to go from 210 <laughs> miles an hour to 213 miles. Yeah. Like, no. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Ridiculous. The other thing is they have a scene in there where Matt Damon, who's the crafty Texan, and they're trying to get every advantage over Ferrari because uh, they're behind at this point in the race. There's a, a little tin of lug nuts. Okay. Now, first of all, if you paid any attention earlier in the movie, the cars are not using lug nuts. They're, there's a single spool on the, that, they, that they hammer on and off. So he tricks the Ferrari team by throwing a lug nut <gasps> in their pit area. Oh. And then one of the Ferrari mechanics looks and says, oh, oh we must be missing a lug nut. Like, <laughs> why is that necessary? You don't have to put that in there. Because, again, most people don't know that there aren't lug nuts on race cars. You can actually see it in the movie. There are sometimes lug nuts on race well, yeah, cars. but not NASCAR on has lug nuts. Yes, but not on these race cars. Yeah. <laughs> so those are those are minor uh, those are minor quibbles. So the continuity person was missing, or they said we're overruling you. We're going to do it anyway because it seems like a good joke to play on the Ferrari. 
mechanics, basically. A- apparently, like again, the, the dopey audiences won't know the difference. Oh, yeah. and they're, they're, think they're dumb. This is cool, but yeah. it's a mistake because most of the people that I that were in the theater were all gearhead guys. I would assume that yes. are older than me and Tara, and they all know cars. <laughs> and so I guarantee you, every one of them came out like, "Well, that was ridiculous. Why is he shifting on the straightaway? <laughs> eh, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen." Because that's what you did. They show the foot hitting the the clutch or not. Just the hand. No, they just show the gear. Oh, okay. Because you always get that. <clears throat> I push my foot down for the clutch. Yeah. You but know? but other than that, it's a very entertaining movie. It's it's very well done. Um, so I, I recommend it. And it's because all the right people hated the movie. Well, then, and it's doing one. blockbuster business. Because, again, we don't like movies about red-blooded American males. That's that's toxic these days. Yes. We, it, we'd rather watch Charlie's Angels reboot that apparently. That's already, was, I think, is it still in the theaters? I, I mean, don't it's know. Been such a I wasn't going to see it, so I don't really care. That's that's fine. So, and you don't actually have to like racing. No, it helps the story. But there's there's some you know interpersonal dynamics and whatnot. Uh, there but, always are. That's uh, fair. I give it three out of four stars. Three out of four. How about out of five? Um, three and a half out of five. No, oh, okay. it's good. It's good. good. It's it's definitely worth it's seeing. worth seeing. Okay. Yes. Then there you go, folks. You should go see Ford versus Just ignore Ferrari. the ignore the uh, shifting when there's no shifting. Or if you don't even recognize it, just if you enjoyed anyway. if you enjoyed Rocky Four when he's mourning Apollo Creed and he's driving around <laughs> his Lamborghini, also shifting into yes. like sixty seventh gear. I think they did show him pushing down on the clutch, right. Though. Yeah, th- yeah. <laughs> Not something I would have thought about, but as you say it, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's because these so. things stick into my mind, Chad, Apparently. and I see them and they're, well, they're annoying. Again, also Tony like drives a stick shift the all fast, the time. Fast and the Furious. Have you ever seen any of those movies where Dom Toretta says to um, what's his name, uh, who's his who becomes his buddy, Paul Walker? Yes, and they're they're doing a quarter mile drag race, and so they get done, and Dom Toretta because he's the man and he always wins is mocking uh, Paul Walker's character and says, "Oh, you never had control of your car. You weren't double clutching when you like." Double clutching? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why would I be You're doing in that? a drag race. You have a synchronized transmission. There's no double clutching. <laughs> you're not driving a Formula One car, and you only double clutch when you're downshifting yep. because you're trying to match revs to, for engine speed and wheel speed. So, again, this is one of these things where <laughs> this is supposedly catered to gearheads. Why do you allow that snippet of ridiculous dialogue? Because again, to the most, oh, that sounds cool. Double clutching. That's pretty. That's pretty why they awesome. Because it. Yes. it sounded cool, but it doesn't right. make any. It doesn't sense. make any sense when yeah. you're nobody who is racing a quarter mile is double clutching anything. Why fact, would nowadays, you? Well, nowadays most of them don't even have manual transmissions. But no. see, these are the things that make me upset, Chad. And they should. Restaurant service makes you upset. That should make everybody Extraneous upset. Extraneous <laughs> gear shifting in racing movies makes me upset. Restaurant service should make everybody upset. It shouldn't just be me. You should be also upset that somebody spit in your food. That should not be okay. Wait, I, who, who spit in your food? I had a guy spit in my food on a steak I sent back because it wasn't cooked. How did you even know that? Because it was sitting on top of the steak. Okay, like, well, then he didn't do a good job. No, well. He didn't do a good job kicking it or cooking it, and he certainly didn't do a good job returning it. So I said, I'm, I'm not going to eat that. Thank you. I, I want a refund, which they gave me. So it was good. Excellent. Yeah. Well, for only a uh, hello, one hello show, yeah, we've, done, we we've done more than sufficient. Well, I never know how, to, how it's going to go. So sometimes I'm excited to go in. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure. A little trepidation. Good, good show tonight. Thank you. According to us. Who else matters? That's true. It's just us probably listening. I don't That's know. true. <laughs> or actually just you, because I, I never listen. Yeah, just not you. So thanks for joining us, folks. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night.
has been a Hannah Tree production.